Thank you so much, Ash. Um, and good afternoon, everyone. As Ash said, I'm Rosie. And um, we've got a bit of a one-off message this evening. Uh, bye, you. See you later. <laughs> I won't take it personally. <laughs> um, this afternoon, um, and I want to start by asking, what would you say is the most precious object in the world? Or perhaps in the UK? Or what's the most precious object in the UK? Um, the crown jewels might be up there. Um, I um, looked it up, and apparently they are worth between three and five billion pounds. Did you know that? Crazy. <laughs> At this moment, there is a queue of dozens, if not hundreds of people, who are waiting to see these jewels. They won't be able to touch them or hold them. They'll be able to wander past, get a glimpse, and I would assume their lives will continue unchanged. If you've been to see the Crown Jewels and it changed your life, then I do apologise. <laughs> um, I wonder what the most precious thing is that you own. If you have your Bible with you today, then I would suggest the answer is in your lap. This book is worth more than any other object on earth. And today, we don't just have to glimpse it in a glass, but just centimetres away from us, right now, is the living and active word of God. God wrote a book. He wrote a book in human language that is about himself for our joy. Hundreds of pages in multiple genres over hundreds of years. Um, pages and pages of God. Three words, ideas, story, poetry, song, lament, philosophy, history, numbers, drama and emotion. Today we are talking about scripture, the wonder of scripture, the authority of scripture and the main character of scripture. Feels fitting, though, to start at the beginning. So if you do have your Bible with you, um, would you turn with me to Genesis 1? And if you don't have your Bible with you, I basically cannot recommend enough making it a habit to take your physical Bible with you where you go, to church, to home group, to prayer meetings, on the bus. <laughs> what a privilege that we can carry around the Word of God. And um, I know that we can get it on an app, but I would say don't settle for an app. You can't build a history with an app. I believe God really cares about physical things. He cares about um, us having the book. Anyway, Genesis 1. We're going to look at the wonder of Scripture. So beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. One of the first things that we find out about God in the Bible is that he speaks. God sees the darkness, and his spirit is hovering, ready to bring cosmos from chaos. And he speaks, and there is light. God creates by speaking. He creates by his word. And this is fitting because God has always been one who communicates. 
When John starts writing his gospel, he begins it in much the same way as Genesis starts, the passage we've just looked at. And he describes what God has been like for all eternity, before creation. And look at the language he uses to describe him. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. God the Father has always been communicating himself in love to the Son. So much so that the Son could be called the Word of God. He is the one who goes out from the Father, the one the Father's love overflows to. What then could be more fitting for a God who is in essence a communicator to communicate with us. And if what he has shared in all eternity is the goodness of himself in love, what will he speak to us about? What will he share with us by his word? What will he give us in this book? He will give us himself. The Bible is an autobiography God has written us a book himself that is about himself. We worship a speaking God. Don't we all long to hear God speak to us? I think if we can, we can think that if only God would give us an answer or some direction, then we would know how he wants us to live for him or how we could follow him better. If he would just write something in the sky... <laughs> then we would know how to follow him. When we come to church or maybe ministry times or things like worship nights, we can long to hear God speak to us really clearly. I'm sure you can relate that feeling of of really wanting God to speak and then everyone around you gets some profound prophetic word, like, Lord. Feeling like God has broken in and spoken into specific situations is a really precious thing, isn't it? I can think of times that's happened to me As a church, we long to hear God speak through the prophetic as we gather. But let's not forget or allow it to become so normal that it dulls in our hearts the wonder that our God speaks to us in his word. I think it's easy for us to take this book for granted when it's so safe and accessible for us to acquire it and to read it. But there are thousands of our brothers and sisters around the world who pray desperately for a Bible. I heard a testimony this week about a man in Cuba who received a Bible for the first time through tears, saying that for two generations of his family, they have prayed that they may one day own a Bible. And I also found out this week about something called Operation Dandelion in North Korea. Um, In North Korea, being found in possession of a Bible Um, It's pretty much a death sentence. Countless Christians will have never held a Bible in North Korea. Because smuggling Bibles in is really difficult, these South Korean Christians um, go to the border of South Korea and North Korea and precariously float passages of the Bible on helium balloons across the border, hoping that they will descend and land in North Korea. And um, I read about this one man who's been doing this since the 70s because they know it is that precious 
to, to receive the word of God, that these Christians in North Korea need to know God speaking to them through his word. Let's not lose sight of the wonder and the preciousness of what we have in our laps today. As Martin Luther said, he who wants to hear God speak should read Holy Scripture. This is what the voice of God sounds like. Isn't that breathtaking? Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That means that this word is sufficient and complete for us to know him and love him and live a life that pleases him. We can so easily find ourselves in situations where we're almost in the dark, just looking for that writing in the sky, the answer to come, straining our eyes. Maybe we forget that just in front of our feet, he is lighting our steps with his word. Let's be a people who are quick to trust that as we open this book, individually and corporately, that we will hear God speak to us that we will be comforted, strengthened, convicted and directed, that we will meet God here in this book is everything we need for life and godliness. To help us enjoy the wonder that this book is, we're going to look at just a couple of ways that the Bible is described in the Bible. To start with, though, I have one that you will definitely not find in the Bible now, I don't know if you've ever heard the mnemonic for the Bible that um, it stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. Heard that before? B-I-B-L-E. Very clever, isn't it? Yeah, that's neat. But honestly, I can't think of a more misleading or frankly depressing description of the Bible. Does the Bible have instructions in it? Yes, of course it does. God cares very much about our obedience to him. He cares about good works that we're not saved by, but that we're saved for. But is this book primarily a rule book? No. Reading the Bible as basic instructions before leaving earth is like turning up to a flight for the safety demonstration and then getting off again. This is not a manual. You know where manuals belong? At the bottom of some drawer, that you think you might need, but then you never need again. And then when you come to it, its pages are stuck together because something leaked in there. Yeah. The speaking God, who is love himself, has not written his bride a manual. He's written us a story. It's about who he is and about who we are so that we can know him. So instead of basic instructions, let's look at some of the ways the Bible describes the Bible. Firstly, bread that sustains us. In Deuteronomy 8, it says, he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This passage tells us that the word of God is daily sustenance to us. Not just a treat for special occasions on top of the normal stuff of life. It is the stuff of life, the fuel for our life, our sustenance. We read in Exodus about the Israelites in the wilderness who received daily this heavenly bread that only lasted a day and then it melted. And they had to go and gather it again the next day and the next day freshly. 
Like that manna, our souls are fed with fresh manna from his word. Not stale or irrelevant like that manual we leave in the drawer, but alive. In the Bible, we are invited to receive the fresh mercies of Jesus that are new every morning, like fresh bread. Secondly, milk that nourishes. In 1 Peter 2, it says, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter says here that the Bible is how we grow. And if it's important, as important for us spiritually, as milk is for a baby physically, then why would it not be something we long for? Isn't it encouraging here that we are commanded to desire it, commanded to long? If you find reading the Bible tough, which we all do, I think at different phases in our life, here is an encouragement that we can teach our hearts to long for his word. And the secret to that, I think, is to read it. Don't wait until you long for it. Habit shapes our desire. Find yourself in the word, and I think we find our longing increasing. We have tasted that the Lord is good, and now he grows us up in him through his word. Finally, honey. Psalm 119 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So the Bible sustains us, it nourishes us, but here we see that it is also over the top, joyful, abundant delight. Of course it is, because our joyful, abundant, delight-filled God has breathed it for us. Bread, milk, honey, sustenance, nourishment, delight. You may have noticed that these are all food, which might just be a reflection of me. <laughs> but with these images of food and being filled, God points us to what he did right at the very beginning in that passage we read in Genesis. He takes empty things, formless and void, and he fills them with his goodness by his word. Because God is a speaking God. Through human authors, he has spoken to us. And it's because we believe that this Bible is the actual words of God that we believe it's authoritative and the highest authority in our lives. So we come to the second aspect of scripture today, the authority of scripture. When we say as a church that we believe the Bible is authoritative, this is what we mean. God does not simply sign off on the Bible once he's read it and think, yeah, I could endorse that. He doesn't simply influence it by influencing human authors and giving them nudges in the right direction. There aren't some parts that more fully represent him than other parts. Each book, each chapter, each verse are his perfect and pure word. It says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. I was struck by this quote from Dr. Peter Jensen. When you trust the word of God, you are trusting God himself. When you keep his word, you are obeying God himself. He is as good as his word. His words are as true now as the day they were written and as significant in revealing to us what he is like as they have always been 
In fact, it says in Isaiah 40, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I've heard it said that the Bible is more up-to-date than tomorrow's newspaper. Cultures and civilizations come and go. Dynasties and empires, worldviews, ideologies and ethics. The word of the Lord alone endures as a testimony to the nature of God, the story of humanity and the central event of all history, the cross of Christ. Leonard Ravenhill says the Bible is either absolute or it is obsolete. Which means as soon as I decide which parts are authoritative and which parts are less so, I have become the authority over scripture. Maybe I'm influenced by scripture. I take some of it on board, especially if it's convenient to me. But ultimately, I will decide what is good, what is moral, And in doing so, ultimately, I will make God in my own image. Guys, it is good news for us this afternoon that we do not have to be the authority. It is a richer and better thing that when we come to the Bible, we read a passage in scripture, we ask, what does this passage mean? Not, what does this passage mean to me? Every passage has a meaning determined by God not the reader. Sometimes it takes a bit of work. Actually, it always takes a bit of work (laughs) to discover the meaning, to use tools to excavate what the passage is actually saying. And we need one another to do this. So many times I've been confused by something I've read, unable to work it out myself, and relied on other people and teaching and friends and books why we read the Bible in home groups so that we can help one another. It is worth it. It is worth it to meet God in the depths of his revelation, to see his grand narrative unfold, to feel wonderfully small in his cosmic plan to save his people. Let's not reduce the Bible to guesswork or catchphrases or just even initial assumptions. Let's treat it with awe and wonder asking God, what does this passage tell me about you? It's because we believe that the Bible is authoritative that we believe preaching should be from the Bible. The Bible isn't authoritative because we preach it. We preach it because it is authoritative. It is only his word that has the power to change us. A preacher has nothing to offer you if they don't offer you Christ and him crucified. I encourage you, all of us, to turn up to preaching, not hoping primarily to learn something, but expecting to meet Jesus as he is proclaimed in his word. Which leads us to our third and final point this afternoon. The protagonist, the main character of scripture. And for this, we're going to look at a story in Luke 24, starting in verse 13. It will appear on the screen, but if you have it, you can turn there with me now. So we're um, coming into the story um, on the day after, or maybe even the same day as the resurrection of Jesus. And we meet two disciples 
who we've never really, I don't think we've come across them before. You can correct me about that later <laughs> if that's not true, but I don't think we know who they are. Um, we meet them, they're walking the wrong way. They're walking away from Jerusalem because they think it's all over. They were following Jesus, but now he's gone. He died, hope is lost. So reading from verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Just want to focus for a second on those words at the end there. Aren't they such a comfort to us this afternoon? Jesus himself drew near. That'd be a better mnemonic for the Bible. I guess it just doesn't make any sense. J-H-D-N, no. <laughs> I will never stop being amazed that the resurrected Jesus spends his time doing this, going to wayward, confused disciples and showing them who he is. If you feel a little bit lost this afternoon, if you are full of doubt, struggling to trust God, where we see Jesus show up in this story is where we see him showing up now. To weary people walking the wrong way. In fact, we were all weary travellers, weren't we? Walking in the wrong direction, unable to recognise the truth in front of our very eyes until Jesus himself drew near to us and revealed to us who he was. It says that their eyes were kept from recognising him. So for them, they're walking along, they're trying to work out all of this stuff that's happened and then there's this random travellers join them. It's like, hello. And he says, hey, uh, what are you talking about? And there's this really just amazing moment of irony um, because um, it, it's, it says that they stop walking. They must be so shocked. And it says that they're upset by what Jesus has said. And they're like, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And you can imagine Jesus looking to camera for a second, <laughs> really trying to keep a straight face. Because <laughs> he says, what things? And at this point, they must be thinking, this guy is clueless. Has he been living under a rock for the past three days? Well, yes, he has. <laughs> So they're like, okay, so they, ex they explain about this prophet Jesus who was mighty in word and deed, who they hoped would save Israel, but now has been condemned to death and crucified. Then there's this, like, honestly, amazingly dumb bit where they <laughs> say, and some women went to the tomb, and uh, Jesus, his body wasn't there, and some angels were there, and they said he'd risen. So then the other disciples went, and they confirmed that, yes, that was true. So, uh, guess there's no hope. <laughs> and um, I can imagine the pause. Jesus is waiting for the penny to drop. Nope. Okay. So he says, oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Notice that he doesn't hear appeal to the evidence that they've seen, but actually to the evidence of scripture. He says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then listen to this. He says, 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What Jesus is doing here is showing that all of scripture is about him. From start to finish, from Moses to Malachi, he told them how it all pointed to him. It's like he's come and turned a light on and suddenly the scriptures come alive. Now, we don't know exactly what the sermon was that he gave these two disciples. We don't have it written in Luke. But it might have sounded something like this. I was the promised offspring of Adam who was to crush the head of the serpent. I and the mysterious angel of the Lord who appeared to Hagar in her distress. I was the voice in the burning bush. I was the Passover lamb whose blood delivered God's people. I was the rock in the desert that when struck gave life. I was the daily manna in the wilderness. I was the commander of the armies of the Lord in Joshua. I appeared to Isaiah in the temple vision. Creation is about me and through me and for me. The Passover was about my sacrifice on your behalf. The exodus out of Egypt was about my victory over the enemy. The lives of Abraham, Jacob and Joseph, Moses, David and Esther were about me. The Psalms and the Proverbs, Song of Songs and Ecclesiastes are all about me and are fulfilled in my suffering, death and resurrection. The Bible is about Jesus. The father in eternity was delighting in his son. And now through his revealed word to us, we have a book about his son so that we can delight in him too. In chapter five of John's gospel, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. What is the Bible for? It is for us to meet Jesus. I said earlier that we have a speaking God. Jesus is the one he speaks of. It is like bread to us because through it we receive Jesus, who is the bread of life. It is like milk to us because it nourishes us to grow up every, in every way into him that is the head. It is sweet like honey because it tells us about the one in whom our souls delight. Maddie, can I invite you up? We're going to worship in just a second, I think. Up to JP. <laughs> but um, I'd love to just um, finish the story. So um, Jesus gives this sermon. And um, I imagine these disciples were amazed. They still don't know that it's Jesus. So um, Jesus goes to stay with these disciples at the house they're staying in, in this village. And then... Um, they break, Jesus breaks bread, and as he's breaking bread, they recognize him. And then in that moment, it says he vanishes. And then they, um, they speak with each other, and this is what they say. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And then a really happy ending. They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Don't we long 
to open the word of God and find that our hearts are burning within us. We will, and we do, when we see in his word the radiant son of God revealed on every page of his book.